You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. It's the announcement many lower mainland commuters have been waiting years for. One of the most congested stretches of Highway 1 through Langley is finally going to be expanded. Our Sarah McDonald is live in Langley for us tonight. Uh, Sarah, little bit of a familiar announcement though. Didn't the Liberals announce this project before? That's right, Sophie. This was largely a re-announcement that we saw this afternoon. The expansion of this stretch of Highway 1 uh, through Langley was first promised actually in 2017 by the B.C. Liberals, but the NDP are now taking on this massive undertaking. The project itself will take more than half a decade to complete. For long-suffering commuters in the Fraser Valley, it's long overdue. I have been stuck in that traffic many times. That bottleneck of Highway 1 between 216th and 264th streets finally getting some much-needed space. With a $265 million expansion project, a joint undertaking by three levels of government. There's nowhere on Highway 1 that sees more congestion than the section of roadway that we're going to be adding high-occupancy vehicle lanes to today. An HOV lane stretching for 10 kilometers will be added along with new parking space for nearly 200 trucks and vehicles with a major underpass and interchange also slated for upgrades. Together, let's build the infrastructure of the 21st century, which are going to be modern, resilient and green for everyone across Canada. Funding for the project, which was first announced in 2017 by the B.C. Liberals, will be coming from the coffers of all three levels of government. The feds committing more than $100 million the province just short of nine figures in funding and the municipal government kicking in more than $27 million. Widening Highway 1 and adding HOV lanes will create shorter commute times, encourage people to make transportation choices that are better for the environment and enhance livability in the Fraser Valley. For commuters, the announcement itself is welcome news. Fantastic idea. But don't expect all this congestion to clear up anytime soon. The nearly quarter billion dollar project still in the planning and engineering phase. Traffic is so heavy. With no shovels expected to be in the ground until 2021. And a scheduled completion date of 2025, and that is just for this stretch of Highway 1 through Langley. The Premier today not ruling out an eventual expansion further east to Abbotsford, but Sophie saying that funding has not been approved yet. All right, thanks for that. Sarah McDonald for us in Langley tonight. And urgent calls tonight from movement on another major Metro Vancouver traffic corridor. A new Massey crossing has been in limbo with leaders locked in a battle over which direction to take. But now the mayors of municipalities surrounding the tunnel are banding together, calling on the province to come up with a replacement plan and quick. Jordan Armstrong reports. From traffic to planning for a future crossing. When it comes to the Massey Tunnel, nothing moves fast. And it's definitely hurting the communities and our ability to bring employees in. Now, a coalition of First Nations leaders and local mayors led by Delta's George Harvey is calling on the province to pick up the pace and unclog one of the worst bottlenecks in BC. The mayor of Surrey agrees. I think we need to build a lot quicker. I think the government's looking at roughly 10 years from now. I'd like to see it in a five-year period. My, how times have changed. When the former Liberal government announced plans for a 10-lane bridge to replace the tunnel, the only municipality to support it was Delta. 
Now, with the NDP in power and several new mayors elected, the civic leaders appear united behind not a bridge, but a replacement tunnel. We were looking at uh, eight lanes, which is three lanes each way, and one lane each way that would take um, a bus or uh, HOV lane. I'm very pleased that after years of not having consensus amongst the mayors, we're working together. Premier John Horgan, who cancelled the bridge plan, says it's a good start. The mayors are finally on the same page, but he's not committing to their timeline of a new tunnel by 2026, at least not yet. There are challenges throughout the region. There are challenges on the island. There are challenges in the north. And now that the mayor's council is in unison, I think progress will be made relatively quickly. Quickly something these drivers can only dream of. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Now, these big transportation projects run through some fairly loyal B.C. Liberal territory. Many of the spending announcements the NDP has made since taking power have been in Liberal strongholds. Our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us uh, from Victoria with more on this. And Keith, one NDP minister in particular has been spending quite a lot of time in Liberal-held ridings. Yes, that would be none other than Health Minister Adrian Dix, who's been spending a lot of capital dollars since he became Health Minister. As a matter of fact, I've been tracking his spending announcements, which is quite regular. Uh, he's been pretty out there establishing all sorts of new facilities around the province and going to Liberal ridings much more than uh, NDP ridings. And so I put the numbers together earlier uh, today. I want to show them to you now. He's made 26 separate announcements in all for, since he became Health Minister. Now, when it comes to those uh, care centres, almost a tie, four Liberal ridings, three NDP ridings. But the gap is significant when you talk about new hospitals or expanding uh, existing ones or improving them. That's where you see a lot more Liberal ridings uh, getting uh, spending in those areas. 11 B.C. Liberal ridings home to these health care announcements from Adrian Dix. Just seven NDP ridings and one B.C. Green riding. I think this pattern will likely continue with Dix spending the health dollars where people need the most. And that uh, is in places, I think, outside of Metro Vancouver and where he's been. Prince George, Quinnell, uh, Dawson Creek, Kamloops and, and the Okanagan. So it's interesting that uh, we've had blacktop politics at play in B.C. before. We've had hospital politics at play. But it seems to be a little reversed right now, Sophie, with the opposition writings getting the uh, lion's share of largesse doled out by the biggest spending minister of all. And that's Adrian Dixon Health. All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. A Surrey man has been arrested under investigation for publicly inciting hatred after posting a comment on our Global BC Facebook page. It was directed at a story about the Surrey Vaisakhi Parade. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it shows that posts made online can have serious criminal consequences. Surrey's Vaisakhi Parade attracted more than half a million people last Saturday. The celebration considered a huge success. But following the event, some disturbing posts appeared online. Now, a 46-year-old man has been arrested for public incitement of hatred. It was kind of disturbing for the community where we have half a million people get together. And the main purpose is to break down barriers. The post followed an online global news story about the parade. They involved threats and hateful comments. More than 70 people reported them to police. Our officers did make an arrest of this individual um, and our investigation is continuing. They are in police custody at this time. Although no charges have been laid, we will be gathering evidence and then uh, speaking with Crown to determine whether or not charges are appropriate. The Visaki parade threats are prompting police to remind the public about Canadian laws on hate propaganda. There is a balance between 
our guaranteed rights of freedom of speech and expression, which are necessary in a functioning democracy, and the crime of trying to hurt an identifiable group, promote hatred. So it kind of heightens the anxiety, so the concern and fear definitely did come out after the comment. If the Surrey man is charged with public incitement of hate and he is found guilty, he could face up to two years in jail. A stark reminder that what is posted online can have severe consequences. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It was a very emotional day of testimony at the trial of Andrew Berry, the Oak Bay father, who has pleaded not guilty to two counts of second-degree murder in the deaths of his two young daughters. As Romina Dea reports, today one of the first officers on the scene shared chilling details about what he saw. 31 years as a police officer, he had never experienced such a crime scene. Oak Bay Police Sergeant Michael Martin broke down on the stand Thursday morning, crying as he told the jury, sometimes you see things and you can't unsee them. Martin said he raced to the scene after Constable Ulanowski uttered only two words over the phone, bloodshed and anarchy. Martin recalled being distraught after finding the girls covered in blood with lacerations. They were lying in their beds, still in their pajamas. No pulse, cold to the touch, Martin said. The girl's badly injured father was found in the bathtub. Martin told the court he made no conclusions about whether Andrew Berry was a victim or a suspect. For defense, it doesn't add up. Kevin McCullough arguing Berry was treated as a killer from the beginning. Barry was charged with second-degree murder less than 24 hours after the crime scene was discovered. Forensics hadn't even been done yet, said defense. Romina Dea, Global News. The remnants of the Oppenheimer Park encampment were removed today, leaving dozens of homeless people with nowhere to go. Vancouver police and park board staff were on scene to take down the tents this morning. Over the winter months, nearly 50 people were living in the downtown Eastside Park. But officials say they need to move everyone away from the infield to repair the grass. Fencing will be up for at least six weeks. So far, housing has been found for 16 people. The ousted campers feel it's simply an excuse to force them out. Where, where are you going to go? I don't know. Another park? Somewhere where I'm going to have to, you know, be more like... I don't really feel like I'm squatting when I'm here, but anywhere else I go, I'm basically squatting. Safest place to be in the city as far as, you know, setting up outside. Yeah. It's the only place where I don't get robbed. The only thing I have to worry about is I have to be here every morning and so the city doesn't take my stuff. As long as I'm here every day between 9 and 12, I'm good. Is it because there's other people around you? Yeah, it's because, it, yeah, we all kind of watch out for each other, you know. And we have not kicked anybody, so to say, out of the park. People have been very cooperative. They moved to the sides of the park. There's still lots of space there uh, for them. So nobody's been displaced, only really out of the infield. We have lots of activities that happen in that park throughout the summer. So we wanted to get some grass back for the community. A Washington state man accused of helping migrants illegally enter Canada from his property in Blaine has been granted bail. But before Robert Boulay, who owns the Smuggler's Inn, can be released, he must meet a lengthy list of conditions. Aaron MacArthur has more. Not quite business as usual at the Smuggler's Inn. Owner Robert Boulay accused of helping people illegally cross the border into Canada. A judge today granted the U.S. citizen bail 
he will have to pay a $15,000 cash deposit. I'm shocked that he's still in custody up in Canada. In order for Bob Boulay to cross the border and go home, he has a number of court-ordered conditions he has to meet, including posting an enormous 4 by 8 sign that says clearly it's illegal to cross into Canada directly from Smuggler's Inn. In total, there are more than a dozen conditions, including posting that same warning on the Smuggler's Inn website. The owner has to cancel all of his phone numbers and email addresses. He has to obtain photo ID of every guest checking in and provide all receipts for guest payment to the bail supervisor on request. I think he was providing a service, which is an innkeeper. And if those people, after staying the night, happen to go into Canada, from my point of view, I don't know how he's supposed to stop that. After Boulay was arrested, a migrant family was seen leaving the property in Blaine and walking across Zero Avenue. You know, you just ran across the border, huh? Where are you from? I can't speak. He's facing 21 counts under the Immigration Act. Court documents indicate he was already on bail during the time period when the alleged offenses occurred. Friends, including immigration lawyer Len Saunders, want to know if the Canadian court order is valid in the U.S. For me, that's troubling. That's a cross-jurisdictional issue. What, what people do in the United States should not be controlled by a Canadian court or the Canadian government. Boulay's next court appearance is May 6th. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. For the second time this month, fisheries officers are investigating another huge dump of Dungeness crab on a roadside in northern B.C. Last Wednesday, nearly 200 crab were found rotting in a pile off Skeena Crossing Road, about 20 kilometers west of Hazelton. The crab appeared to have been there for some time. This is the second such dump site found in the area in recent weeks, and Department of Fisheries officers believe they are connected. If you have any information on this, you're asked to contact the Observe, Record, Report anti-poaching line at 1-800-465-4336. Right now, though, Vancouver International Airport is under scrutiny after rejecting an advertisement aimed at keeping passengers informed. The proposed billboard is directed at travelers passing through customs, reminding them of their rights when it comes to their personal electronics. Jennifer Palmer reports. YVR, one of Canada's busiest airports, welcoming and serving millions of passengers every year. But one group trying to buy ad space there isn't being allowed. As a way to catch people's attention and let them know as they are going to the airport and about to cross borders what their rights are. The eye-catching ad you see here stating, your phone is not safe at the border, know your privacy rights, is meant to direct travelers to borderprivacy.ca, a website letting travelers know their rights when it comes to their personal devices at the Canadian border. When you're actually at the border, you have no more rights when it comes to your information on your phone than you do having your suitcase searched for a bag of t-shirts or pants. And so what we really want to do is make sure people understand just how that information is being treated. The ad was to be placed at the end of the SkyTrain line at YVR, but was rejected. One air passenger rights advocate says fundamental rights are being potentially threatened. Airports are fulfilling, in practical terms, a government function. And as such, they would be subject to the Canadian Charter. BC Civil Liberties Association has a guide to let you know your rights at the border. They're not sure why YVR isn't letting the ad be posted. It's information that the public wants to know. Um, it's nothing uh, extremist. It's nothing controversial. It echoes what 
a parliamentary committee has said. It's not the first time YVR has been in this kind of situation. Last year, Flight Claim tried to buy ad space, letting passengers know their rights when it comes to flights being cancelled, delayed, or overbooked. It was kind of disappointing that they didn't want us to, uh, to publicize the right of the passenger. YVR wouldn't go on camera, but in an email to Global News, they state the ad didn't serve their stakeholders and felt it pitted two groups against each other. They added YVR is non-political and that a petition on the border privacy website is a political call to action. However, open media contends they weren't given a clear reason as to why their ad was rejected. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Facebook is being blasted yet again tonight, this time by B.C.'s privacy commissioner over its lack of privacy protection. Michael McAvoy and his federal counterpart say Facebook is refusing to take responsibility for a major leak of personal data. and They're taking the social media giant to court. A click of a button may seem harmless, but back in 2009, that's all it took for 276 Canadians to install a Facebook app, enabling access to the private information of those users, their friends, and friends of friends, more than 650,000 of them. Good morning, everyone. A joint investigation by the federal and BC privacy commissioners found the world's largest social media network broke several privacy laws and failed to take responsibility. But it turns out there's not much that can be done about it. The problem in Canada is that there is no deterrent whatsoever when it comes to uh, fine-making power. It is completely unacceptable. The private information was compiled into a massive database that was eventually shared with Cambridge Analytica, a UK firm that had links to a small Victoria-based business, Aggregate IQ. I do feel responsible for it. It wasn't until the owner of that operation, Christopher Wiley, came forward, exposing the data had been used to help the Trump campaign identify and target voters in the 2016 presidential election. It was a grossly unethical experiment. The United States may hit Facebook with a record-breaking fine of as much as $5 billion for this privacy breach. The UK is also slapping Facebook with huge fines. In Canada, nothing. And the watchdogs say that has to change. They plan to take the matter to federal court. We should have order-making powers to ensure that after we do serious work as we've done, uh, that the conclusions that we have are binding on companies. As for Facebook, it provided this statement saying, after many months of good faith cooperation and lengthy negotiations, we are disappointed that the Privacy Commissioner considers the issues raised in this report unresolved. We understand our responsibility to protect people's personal information. The federal privacy commissioner isn't buying it and is shutting down its Facebook page. But knowing not everyone will do the same, users are being warned to proceed with caution. Kylie Stanton, Global News. That frustrating Easter-long weekend at BC Ferries has the corporation considering getting rid of its reservation fees. Changes have been in the works for a while, but pressure has grown since the chaos and multiple sailing waits on the Easter weekend, where many people with reservations missed their check-in times because they were stuck in traffic. The new system could be some form of variable pricing that depends on the popularity of individual routes with no reservation fees. 
And TransLink says its latest review shows transit use in Metro Vancouver hit an all-time high last year. 2018 boardings were up an average of just over 7% for all of its services, including buses, SkyTrain and West Coast Express. TransLink says the performance review has identified 52 routes that are overcrowded and it will add service hours to 32 of those routes before July. Rescue crews in Syria struggled to pull a woman from the rubble of a building destroyed by an explosion that killed 17 people. Despite supposedly being protected by a de-escalation zone agreement between Russia, Iran and Turkey, this part of Syria has seen an increase in attacks by both Russian warplanes and the Syrian army. After several hours of work, including cutting through concrete and pipes, the woman was pulled out alive. No word on her condition. The 2020 U.S. presidential election got a lot more interesting today with Joe Biden formally throwing his hat in the Democratic ring. But while Biden says he's joining a battle for the soul of the nation, the former vice president doesn't enter the race without his own political baggage. Joe Biden's first campaign stop, Gianni's Pizza, on his home turf in Delaware. Show 2020. His formal announcement, an unconventional video, excoriating President Trump for saying there were fine people on both sides at that deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville two years ago. And in that moment, I knew the threat to this nation was unlike any I had ever seen in my lifetime. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. It's a battle that's been brewing for years. I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. That's what I wish. Did you see where Biden wants to take me to the back of the barn? Me. He wants it. I'd love that. The president firing back at Biden today, tweeting, Welcome to the race, Sleepy Joe. I only hope you have the intelligence long in doubt to wage a successful primary campaign. Biden is now starting his third race for the White House. For now, the Democratic frontrunner, because he is so well-known. But he faces big challenges. While an early supporter of same-sex marriage, many progressives criticize his 1994 crime bill, his vote for the Iraq War, his treatment of Anita Hill in the Clarence Thomas hearings. More recently, even before announcing, several women complained about unwanted contact, although not sexual, which Biden tried to explain. And I get it. I get it. While running on his partnership with Barack Obama, the former president is not endorsing anyone right now. I asked President Obama not to endorse. Whoever wins this nomination should win it on their own merits. Today, Biden was asked if he had a message to the world. Yes, America's coming back like we used to be. Ethical, straight, telling the truth. A new study from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety finds that while drivers and front seat passengers are much safer than before, sitting in the back seat is more dangerous. The study says rear seat passengers don't have the benefit of more sophisticated restraint systems such as front airbags and other technology. Front seat belts have force limiters to reduce the risk of chest injuries, but rear seat belts generally lack that technology. The Institute recommends force limiters in inflatable seatbelts and more airbags in the back seat. In Health Matters tonight, a dire warning from one of Canada's largest vision research advocates. As Linda Aylesworth reports, Fighting Blindness Canada says this country is facing a crisis that could double the number of people living with blindness in just over 10 years. I'm just going to line you up. Come on forward, first yep. of all. 
Doug is one of over 5 million Canadians living with a vision-threatening eye disease. I have a combination of the wet macular degeneration in both left and right eye, and I have glaucoma in my right eye as well. Even so, he's lucky, because he was diagnosed and treated early. People cannot underestimate enough uh, the import of uh, having their eyes checked on a regular basis. He responded to treatment like only the people who we detect in those first couple of days do. He's maintained stable vision for a dozen years. Everyone over the age of 40 should get their eyes tested every three years, over 50 every two years, and over 60 every year. But too often, Dr. Briar Sexton sees patients who have waited too long after irreversible damage is done. Three out of four uh, eye diseases are treatable. And so 75% of the population that loses vision in Canada right now loses it needlessly. Find the door. Which is why Fighting oh Blindness Canada Steps. is pushing for a national vision health strategy that would increase awareness, access to treatments, and funding for research. So there's a huge benefit to having research if we can get politicians uh, to support the treatments that exist and also support further research so that more treatments can exist. Funding would also help alleviate the shortage of ophthalmologists in this province, which currently stands at just 180, with only three additional specialists being trained annually. We can see it coming. We're walking towards the cliff. Let's be good partners with government. Let's be good partners with all key stakeholders. And let's have a strategic plan. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A BCER doctor is campaigning to have this province's paramedics carry a drug for pain. Back in 2014, Gary Andalfato was on a bike ride on a snowy day when he fell and broke his femur. After dragging himself for nearly four hours before he found someone to call 911, he says he discovered the paramedics had little to give him for his pain. As a result, he began research into ketamine for pain relief and says all paramedics should be equipped with it. If you're careful about the dose you use it in, you can really avoid a lot of those unpleasant effects. And, and it's also really useful because it provides pain relief without actually having dangerous side effects. Prince William in New Zealand to talk to first responders and victims of the mosque attacks. His heartwarming visit with one of the smallest survivors right after Christie's forecast. And meteorologist Christy Gordon is with us now with a look at that forecast. And hmm. it's a word we don't want to see. And what is it, late April? Late April, yes. What is today? The 25th? And here we are talking about snow. A little tough to handle. Now, not to worry. For those of you across the south coast, it's not for us. It's really mainly for the interior regions over the next two days. But the real focus will be in on tomorrow evening. So let me break it down here for you. Starting off with the band of moisture that we're going to see tonight across southern BC from the Okanagan Valley into the Kootenai region. Uh, it's mainly over higher terrain that we'll see snowfall for tonight. The cold air really ushers in on Friday night and then through Saturday we really see a system drop down pulling in that colder air and that's when we'll see the freezing levels drop. So we are certainly concerned for Friday Friday night, a lot of people will be traveling. Uh, so higher terrain, we are expecting the snow level tonight to be about 1,500 meters. So tonight, the concern would be the connector and Kootenai Pass. 
But tomorrow night, as that cold air gets ushered in, it drops down potentially to 1,000 meters. That means the Kogala, Allison Pass have the potential of seeing snow. So here's the breakdown of what we could see. Again, this is Friday night. Uh, so a 70% chance of snow for these areas from Hope Princeton through the Coquihalla. Only a 40% chance for the connector, but the Rogers Pass, Kootenai Pass, and Pine Pass areas could see 5 to 10 centimeters of snow. And we're even talking about snow over lower terrain. And the areas that have the potential of seeing this over lower terrain are from uh, the North Coast inland sections, so both Smithers and Terrace so through the Caribou and Central Interior regions, and then extending down into the Columbia areas. The exact amounts is tough to pinpoint right now. We're going to be watch to, watching to see how low that freezing level really goes. Uh, but anywhere from a dusting to about 8 centimeters is potential in those areas. Again, that's at lower elevations tomorrow night, so on the ground potentially Saturday morning for you. Backing up, though, and looking at your tomorrow, so mainly just showers. Possibility of a few flurries and smithers just in the morning, but otherwise temperatures tomorrow are still mild enough, and you can see 17 degrees is the high in some areas. We'll also be enjoying mild conditions near seasonal values at 14 degrees. Lots of sunshine in the coming days, although Friday night into Saturday morning, Sophie, we do have a very slight chance of showers. Otherwise, not much to worry about. Out. And I'll show you this shot from Manny Park. This is Skagit there, and uh, it's over higher terrain in the snow, and I think he's waiting for more snow to come, which is <laughs> certainly on the way. Well, fun for him anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Christy. Prince William is in New Zealand to meet with first responders and victims of last month's deadly mosque attacks. The Duke of Cambridge arrived in Christchurch with Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. The New Zealand police commissioner says the prince told his staff that a good friend doesn't pick up the phone when people are in need. You travel to their place and you put your arms around them. William's personal approach evident during a visit with a young survivor. Do I have a daughter? Yeah. Yeah, she's called Charlotte. What's her name? Charlotte. She's about the same age as you. Charlotte? Charlotte, yeah. Two weeks. Five-year-old Alain Alsati woke up from a coma earlier this week after suffering critical injuries in the attack. More remarkable video of transient killer whales on the hunt at Vancouver Harbour. Scientists with the Vancouver Aquarium capturing the moment on Tuesday as the group of bigs, as the whales are also known, swam into the harbour to hunt for seals. The killer whales feed on marine mammals, including seals, sea lions and other cetaceans like dolphins. The group of five included a matriarch and her four offspring. A week before, a different group of bigs were spotted, a matriarch with three offspring. Although listed as a threatened species at risk, BC's population is recovering with more than 300 believed to be in the wild. And an unusual move by BC Hydro after a 50-hectare grass fire near Chase destroyed six power poles and put an eagle's nest at risk. The nest and its single egg was on top of one of the poles. With mum keeping a close eye on things, Hydro called in environmental experts to help move the nest. The egg was handled with surgical gloves so it wouldn't pick up any human scent and placed in a temperature-controlled vehicle while the nest was moved. A day later, the mother eagle was back in the relocated nest with her egg. Amazing that they can mm. do that. Yeah. They handled the egg with kid gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Surgical right. kid gloves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you got the purple memo, obviously. Yes, I did. Ooh, Sorry. I missed it. Uh, you got to get a, you gotta get a new computer. Probably in your junk box. <laughs> <Yeah. Junk box. laughs>
You don't have granola stuck in your teeth. I know. I shouldn't have eaten granola. Well, you got to eat, and you don't. I know, but I just sort of. I don't eat it like a normal person. I just sort of dig in the bag and eat it that way. I don't use milk. A lot of people do it that way. Okay, we need to talk. But then again, I'm not really normal, regardless. I wasn't going to say, but. Well, you can say it. I'm not offended. I am not offended. Well, that's why we like you. Okay. Okay. It's not just. go. Okay. It's not just teams that get eliminated in the first round of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. It's also officials. If they don't do good jobs, they aren't assigned games in round two. And two of the referees that did not make the cut for the second round are Dan O'Halloran and Eric Furlat. They happen to be the refs in game seven of the Vegas-San Jose game when they mistakenly gave the Sharks a five-minute power play for Cody Eakins' cross-check on Joe Pavelski. In fact, the league apologized to Vegas for the mistake, which started the Sharks' comeback after being down 3-0, and then, of course, they won in overtime. What compounded the referee's mistake was the explanation of what they thought had happened. I said nothing happened. You know, we, we get the chance to look at the video and that, and they said it was a bad accident. He said he got him in the face with a stick, cross-check. That's what the ref said? They said uh, basically cross-check him across the face, and we all seen that that didn't happen. All right, round two, Bruins and Blue Jackets. Of course, Columbus, a team that shocked everyone by vanquishing Tampa in four straight games. Here comes Boston. They'll score first. Nolachari, that's a shorthanded marker, and it's one nothing for the Bruins, who have home ice in this series. But Columbus comes back. Riley Nash tipping in this shot by Seth Jones. And then 13 seconds later, Artemi Panarin takes a shot, and it goes in off Pierre-Luc Dubois. So it's 2-1 now for Columbus, but they couldn't hold that lead. Charlie Coyle with about four and a half minutes left, and that is in and out. Straight in and out. Third is over. OTT, yeah, you know me. Who's down with OTT? Or I guess it's just OT. Uh, Canada, Latvia at the uh, under-18 hockey championships. Braden Schneider shoots and scores. one nothing for Canada. Although, Latvia gave the Canadians a bit of a battle, and... Who knows what would have happened if Latvia hadn't scored on itself right here. Watch this. Face off, and it goes straight back and into the net. Oh, no. Peyton Krebs is given credit for the goal. He actually had two goals in this game because he um, got an empty netter as well. So Canada wins, and they move on to the uh, semis against Sweden on the weekend. When the Vancouver Whitecaps play Philadelphia on Saturday at BC Place, they might have midfielder Andy Rose back in the lineup. Likely won't start, but could come off the bench. He is one of the off-season acquisitions the Caps had high hopes for. He played in the MLS before with Seattle, has some English premiership experience, but he hasn't been able to play since a bad head injury suffered over a month ago against Houston, an injury that landed him in the hospital. The injury happened on this play. It's one of the dangers soccer players face when going up for a header. Rose was concussed, but he also had a broken bone near his eye. Uh, it was called an orbital rim fracture, so sort of, um, you know, right above my eye, sort of inside the socket. So, yeah, it was a strange one. What was also strange to Rose at the time of the incident was he didn't think he was that bad. He couldn't figure out why they were taking him off the field. It probably didn't take until I was kind of halfway down the tunnel that I really realized, oh, okay, I'm not feeling too good here. I'm uh, a little bit shaky and... Um, 
you know, I got to give a lot of credit to, to the medical staff because they could obviously tell right away. If you looked at the images and what happened in his, uh, he looks good now, but not the day before, after. Until this week, Rose was not able to practice with the Whitecaps, but in his absence, he got a good close look at the way the team has been playing. Yes, they've only won one game, but he thinks their defense has improved dramatically in the last month. I really feel like defensively there's a very clear understanding. Like I said, we're really difficult to break down. At least that's what, what I see. Um, our goals against average the last few few games has been very low. We've, we've said it a few times. Another three, four, five goals um, for us this season, I think we would we would be pretty comfortable in, in, in a good spot. I think we'd... Um, probably have at least five six more points and uh and feel like we were probably in a, in a position of strength and as soon as rose gets his strength up he can start helping the white caps capitalize on their chances nfl draft tonight and number one to arizona and it's oklahoma quarterback kyler murray who actually is the first person now in history to be taken in the first round of the NFL draft and the first round of the Major League Baseball draft. Last year he was drafted ninth overall by Oakland, but he's going to play football instead. San Francisco with the second pick, Ohio State defensive end Nick Boza. The Jets pick third, Alabama defensive tackle Quinnen Williams. The Seahawks have two first-round picks, 21 and 29. And all right, there's a mystery in the Okanagan, uncovered by a construction crew. It's a lost camera, well, it's found now, full of memories, found in a creek near Kelowna. And now the search is on for the owner. Global Okanagan's Danny Seymour has the story. Never found anything quite, quite like this. For crews preparing to install a new culvert along Kelowna's Mill Creek, it was a surprising find. Came across a GoPro camera uh, sitting, uh, sitting in the sediment. The camera was found in a popular park just downstream from some waterfalls. I don't know if it was people playing up at the falls or possibly mountain bikers or, uh, you know, somebody could have been up there cross-country skiing. Then Buskirk contacted Global News hoping we could help find some answers. The interesting thing is going to be to find out what's on it and if we can actually track down the owner. Fortunately, inside the dirty and beat-up case, the camera is still intact. So the moment of truth. The memory card is full of all sorts of videos, including hockey practice, concert footage, vacations, and the very last video recorded... A man jumping into a pool at the base of the falls in Mill Creek. It's likely either the camera owner or a friend, and it may be the last time they saw their GoPro. If the date stamp is correct, all this video was taken five years ago in 2014. As for whom the camera belongs to, it's unclear. However, we consistently saw these two faces. But it'd be kind of curious to see if we could find the owner and where they may have lost it and how it managed to make its way down here. It's hard to believe the camera and the videos on it survived what could have been five years in a creek. And that included two major flooding seasons. So if you lost your GoPro in Kelowna in 2014, you'll no doubt want to call us to get it back. Danny Seymour, Global News, Kelowna. I was fully expecting... <laughs> Like at some point, mm -hmm. Ogopogo appears in the <gasps> background. Maybe we haven't looked at all of the footage yet. I know, because that would be like a super Okanagan mystery. <laughs> Solved. Awesome. <laughs>
Uh -huh. We'd hopefully find the owner, and we figured out Ogopogo. Look, looked like some brothers. They did they look like brothers, like right? Brothers. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Uh, final word on the weather? Sure. So, uh, not bad conditions tomorrow. Plenty of sunshine, but we do have a chance of showers tomorrow evening into Saturday morning. Otherwise, we're good. Sunshine. Oh, let's what go for a cruise. That thing? How's it going to get under the bridge? Uh, they better lift it up. The bridge, that is. I don't think they can. Oh, okay, then lower the boat. <laughs>